Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 352, recorded November 7th, 2021. Today we're doing Year 5, Issues 23 and 24. The penultimate issues. Exactly. Really wraps up the whole story, so I don't really know what 25 is going to be, but... Yeah. You've done a little sneak peek, so you have an idea. I looked at it. It looks like it's just... Yeah. But 24 really does end this story arc, the Gary 7, Tholian invasion story arc. Exactly, yeah. So. Yeah. And it even ends with the end, so... (laughs) I mean... Yeah, we see we it see really some epilogue. Yeah, we see at the point that the story ends, we see where the different characters are kind of what their tra- trajectories were at the time that the story ended. Right. And so, so twenty five continue in some way the yeah. story and, and fill in that uh, that refit timeline, which you know, the lost years. Right. So twenty five deals with it jumps ahead a little bit and deals with that. Refit timeline? Or that refit time? Yeah, but I don't think it jumps forward all that much. Okay, okay. But like I said, I haven't read it. I just kind of thumbed through it. But I'm hoping that maybe they'll do another 25 issues or something of that timeline or something. Oh, wow. I just want more Star Trek. That's all. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So year six, sort of, is what you'd like. Yeah, don't call it that. Just call it it sort of. The refit years, okay. <laughs> Star Trek Taws, the refit years. There you go. Yeah, and that, that would be kind of interesting. A lot of the crew, I mean, obviously the Enterprise is going to get refit, so they all get redeployed to other ships. Did any of them stay together in their new assignments? Definitely hinted at in these issues that they're going to. Yeah. But yeah. I always enjoyed, you know, when Pocket Books would come out with those, uh, or I guess it was Simon and Schuster, whoever had the book rights, mm-hmm. would come out with the quote-unquote lost years or lost era right. books. Yeah, I like that, those that too. That helped with that time. Yeah. You know, meet Decker before Kirk just comes in there and takes away all his power. and <laughs> All the hard work he's put in. Right. Right. But anyways, yeah, you want to talk about these two before... Let's do that. So Sorry, this, it, <clears throat> Sorry, we, we, we get to find out what the heck's been going on. Although I got to say, the ending we come to, I got some questions. And I bet you have questions too. But, about uh, how we get to the end or about the end itself? About the end. There are aspects of the end, which is good. And I think they ended it well. But then there's other aspects like, wait a minute. What about this? And what about the other <laughs> thing? And, well, wait a minute. It's like, I don't know. I have a few caveats. All right. Can't wait to hear them. Well, I, I assume you do too, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> okay. I am doing issue 23, and that had a published date of May 2021. Writers are Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by Stephen Thompson. Inker Elizabeth D'Amico. 
Colorist Charlie Kirchhoff, letterer Neil Yataki, showrunners Jack Lansing and Colin Kelly, and editors are Chase Marotz and Megan Brown. We've got two covers. Cover A features a beaten and bloody Enterprise with five Tholian pursuers on her heels with a backdrop of a fully woven Tholian web. Covers by Stephen Thompson. The Retailer Incentive cover presents three silhouettes of the original Enterprise and the refit Enterprise to come. The colorful cover tells the reader to prepare for the evolution of starship design. The pride of the fleet reimagined. One of the many innovations coming soon to Starfleet. And that's by J.J. Lendl. The Enterprise, and indeed the entire Federation, is in the same precarious no-win situation it was at the end of issue 22. The Tholians, with the aid of the Aegis and Gary Seven, has jumped into every critical location in the Federation with fully formed Tholian webs that are disrupting communications, weaponry, ships' engines, and likely more. Kirk and his bridge crew quickly come up with a plan to break the Enterprise free of the Tholian headlock that they are in, and at top speed, they figure they can get to the edge of Federation space where Bright Eyes will attempt to contact the Tholian elders, which are on some kind of command ship that apparently hangs out at the edge of any big military campaign. If Bright Eyes can join the Elder Shard and convince the Elders that they have been fed propaganda about the Federation's aggression and the fact that the Federation will end the Tholian Empire, all this is lies, so Bright Eyes thinks he can convince them of this. If he can give them the trust Bright Eyes has built up for Kirk and the Federation, a new Tholian consensus could be formed that could end the invasion. However, Bright Eyes says the odds of them breaking free of the web here and escaping the close-by ships and them making it all the way out to the edge of Federation space, where the Elders will be before the invasion is complete, is virtually impossible. Kirk says they have no choice but to try, as long as Bright Eyes is willing. It's possible the Elders could lose trust in him. He could lose himself. Bright Eyes says he might, but with resolve, he says, he will not. Preparations are made by the crew, and the plan is put into effect. They let loose large stores of water that disrupt the Tholian web technology that runs hot. The Enterprise is free. They use cryonic phasers to blast nearby Tholian ships. Sulu flies like a man possessed, knowing all rides on his prowess. Meanwhile, on Earth, Spock finds himself with seven next to the Aegis Tower that pulsates with incredible energies that makes the unstoppable Tholian invasion possible. Seven attempts to co-op Spock by showing him the Aegis's truth of what the Milky Way future will be like if the Federation is allowed to survive and thrive. Hundreds of years of war with the Klingons, the Cardassians, the Borg, the Dominion, the Zenkethi Coalition. The list goes on. A thousand-year wick that results in a burning galaxy. Spock appears to buy it all and offers Seven his hand and says, very logical. Then, when Gary takes his hand, Spock uses his kung fu grip 
and forces Seven to his knees. Spock pulls out his communicator and orders a Priority A emergency transport back to the Enterprise. Seven tries to shoot Spock, but too late, as he returns to the Enterprise and quickly emerges onto the bridge. Spock tells Kirk about his highly likely theories based on recent information provided by Gary Seven. Gary Seven's Masters the Aegis provided Tholians with stasis weaponry that they tested on their own people at the Lloyd Zeta-9 colony, where they first found Bright Eyes. The Aegis deployed the weapon across the galaxy via the towers and will unleash it at a time of Gary's choosing to arrest development across the entire galaxy and impose a perfect, everlasting peace. That is their goal, not Tholian supremacy. Spock is here to take his station and aid in that plan's defeat. Kirk tells Spock to take the con instead of his science station. Kirk addresses the crew and turns command officially over to Spock. He goes on to orate a stirring speech to inspire the crew of the Enterprise to achieve peace at the edge of the Federation space while he leaves to face Gary Seven. Seven will be stopped, or Jim Kirk will. Kirk transports down to Seven's location and is immediately shot at by Seven. Spock stands tall on the bridge and sets course for the Tholian command ship at maximum warp. Engage! Scotty dives into his bag of tricks and gets the ship up to warp 8. Ohura is able to tap into a pursuing Tholian ship's comms and pump the waveforms they discovered earlier that year from the artifact at Hesperides 1. It messes with the Tholian crew's minds, and that ship breaks off their pursuit. Sula reports the speed they are traveling at will get them to the command ship fast, but Chekhov reports there are a dozen Tholian vessels in their path. Or should I say, vessels? Spock and the bridge crew execute their hastily assembled plan to use the Tholians' reliance on replicators to replicate potassium, rubidium, quantum gas in the blockade ships that are in front of them. The interiors of the Tholian ships suddenly become unbearably cold for their species, and in the confusion, the Enterprise passes them. They slow down as they come upon a huge red ship, the Tholian command ship. Meanwhile on Earth, Seven and Kirk's firefight takes a breather as Kirk tries to convince Gary that what the Aegis is planning to force on the galaxy is not right, for any of the lesser species who live here. Isis was not his friend, but his handler, a manipulator, someone to keep Gary in line and execute a plan that will destroy his own people, the people he was supposed to have been bred to protect and guide. Gary says Kirk is right and puts his gun away. He takes out his amazing sonic pen and uses it to transport away, saying he sees the flaw in the master plan and a way to a solution. He must go back to the beginning, and then he disappears. Five years ago, someone says loud and with force, Captain on deck? Captain James T. Kirk steps out of a shuttlecraft and itching to see his new ship, but Gary Seven is suddenly there to greet him and shoot him. A red laser beam lances out. To be concluded. Or no, to be continued.
pretty much concluded. Well, <laughs> but technically speaking. Right. So, yeah. Gary is uh, still the bad guy. <laughs> he, he has not been convinced, as many computers in the past have, by Kirk's silver tongue. Right. He is not buying it. He is not breaking his Aegis programming. Just like Spock, though tempted, did not get swayed by Gary's uh, revelation of the possible futures. Was he tempted, or was it an act? Yeah, I know. That's to lull Seven into a false tempted. feeling of... Yeah, that was very much cheat. like the uh, first contact data and the board Queen thing. I, I, I was getting that vibe when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it was a what, what... I love that they actually acknowledged all the bad stuff that's going to happen. Including Picard and Discovery stuff with the the Mars attack and the uh, the burn exactly being referenced. <clears throat> I did like that, and even though he didn't actually come out and say it, you can you can easily recognize those ships that were uh, fight uh, firing down on the uh, shipyards. Right. Yeah, the only one I didn't quite know was the first contact with the. To Zenhi Coalition. Did you look it up? Because I did. I did not. Did you? I did. Because I didn't well, know what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? They were referred to in Deep Space Nine episodes The Adversary and Paradise Lost. Right. So that was the one where that one guy, I think that one Starfleet officer. Captain Layton. Oh, Captain? He was a captain? I thought he was a security officer or something that uh, worked for Cisco. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, whatever. But it was referred to in there. Okay. But so then, you want more details? No, 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 no. That's fine. Yeah, I I had never heard of them before. But I mean, so I could I could probably go back and get the details of how they were referred to in those episodes of Deep Space 9, but obviously that didn't talk about this, you know, where all right. those uh, all those Starfleet people were killed on first contact on yeah, the first right. contact thing. So yeah, I think so this it looks took like a little they, further. They played a big part in the uh, Typhon Pact um, series of novels. Nah. So I don't know if maybe that's referenced there or or what. But anyways, okay. Yeah, the, the main point is they were originally referred to in two Deep Space Nine episodes. It says. Just as a throwaway line type thing. Oh, what, what that guy, how they knew during the, uh, the, the Tzentki Raiders fought against a number of Raiders. So. Exactly. Okay, so you found that. That's it. Yeah. yeah so they were a warp-capable civilization native to the planet Tzentki in the Alpha Quadrant. They were led by a ruler known, well. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess you found the so, same thing. Interesting. So that's as much as I know. Yeah. Because it's uh, Memory Alpha's entry was kind of light. Right. Well, I just didn't go further. I guess you could have gotten more <laughs> if I kept reading, but I didn't. So anyway, so yeah, that was the only one that I didn't quite jump out at me as, ooh, that's so cool that they're referencing that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And then they do something similar in the next issue where they're referring to points in Kirk's past. But we, we haven't got there yet. Haven't got there yet. Yeah. I like seeing him rest. Is that her? I wasn't quite sure because she well, looks like she's doing engineering stuff. So that's yeah. why I was a little confused on who she so was. So it's another of her species. Right. 
or it's her. So yeah, one way or the other. Yeah. I thought it was a little ridiculous that she's wearing a uh, spacesuit that space has suit. a tail section. <laughs> and the tail section actually has like the little bob at the end. So, you know, how she has the the fluffy part at the oh, end of her tail like, right. like lions do. And I was reading it thinking, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Why, <laughs> why would it have the little fluffy thing at the end of... That means that she would have had to fed her tail all the way through this suit to get to that, to that last part. Yes. It seemed weird. Yes. It's an interesting addition to the human focused version. Right. So they just, I'm just thinking they stuck that, a big long sock on the back of it, which that would make sense. Right. If it was just like a long sleeve that the tail went into, yeah. I would, that would make sense. It was the Bob at the end that I was just like, I think they just drew Imrest and then just colored that tail part the same color as the suit and expected me not to ask questions but i'm gonna ask <laughs> but i'm gonna ask questions yeah in the other picture of her you can see her tail is like a tan color light light brown and then right. her little bob at the end is is darker brown right right which but, makes sense because that's what color her hair is like a lion okay cool and but the picture of her in her suit it's all kind of like that gray white kind of color yeah but it almost looks a little transparent because doesn't it look a little darker where the bob is? I think that's just the shadow. Okay. I think that's just the shadow of her standing in front of the light source. Okay. That's fine. We're probably over-obsessing on this one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Gary's big reveal where he tried to talk Spock into joining him, you know, about the truth, the truth. Right. I thought that was supposed to be the plan was to put the Tholians into control, right? And then make perfect peace through Tholian dictatorship, basically. But yeah, then... I didn't really know. Maybe he just wanted a buddy, like like ISIS. Ah, so Spock would be the new ISIS? Yeah, he just, he just wants someone to talk to. Right. Okay, well... You know how Doctor Who always has his companions. Oh, well, that's a good point. That's a good point. And obviously Gary is kind of channeling Doctor Who, which yeah, we spoke about before. When Spock talks about how the Tholians are going to be screwed up also, everybody basically, when the Aegis basically puts the entire galaxy in stasis, right. it's like, that was a bit of a jump for Spock. Because Gary was still going on saying Tholians are going to overrun everything. And then this bleeding wound you call the future, we're going to cauterize it. Colonar for the galaxy. Colonar for the galaxy? Really? Okay. So that's what Gary said. And then Spock says, that's BS. He's going to actually physically put the entire galaxy into stasis. Everything's going to stop? Is, is that what he's saying? Uh, or just there'll be no, no war and no, well, no emotion type thing. I don't know. Why I don't do you... know. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, the Tholians are very, I mean, they, they seem emotional. Yeah, so. well... That's another good point. I mean, whoever said the Tholians weren't violent? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. they tried to capture the original Enterprise, right? In the Tholian web? And I guess right. they were trying to capture it rather than blowing it to bits. But that's aggressive, isn't it? Well, wasn't it because they were uh, they were trying to get the Defiant or something, right? That's that episode, right? Well, yeah, the Tholian web also involved... Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and quite frankly, I don't know that Defiant had to do with what the Tholians were doing. 
Well, that had to do with why the Enterprise was there in, well, in yes. Tholian space. And then because the Enterprise was there, the Tholians saw that as a threat? or So, so that's in Tholian space? It's been a while since I've seen that episode. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And so it, they saw it as an invasion into their space, and then they used the Tholian web to capture the Enterprise, or tried to anyway. Yeah, very okay. slowly. Okay. Very, very slowly. Uh, okay, but my main point is, I don't think they're really pacifists. No. I mean, yeah, they're very right. willing to... to I mean, what, what did they do to their own people? They used that thing on their own people, and didn't they kill them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But wasn't that also Isis manipulating them? Remember, she was that black Tholian? Oh, right. And she was talking to the, <clears throat> the council and right. getting them to... Because she could take any form. Yeah, and she was getting them to attack that colony or whatever for whatever right. reason because they figured out the cold gun or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I don't know. It's it's just a little confusing, but maybe because we've read it over the last two years that you know little things aren't making sense, and maybe if we read it all together, it would it would make more sense. It would make more sense. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm like I don't really understand Gary's plan at all. I just just go with it. Well, <laughs> as flawed as it is, I'm just gonna go with it. Well, I can understand putting Tholians in charge if they truly were an agent of, of peace, which I don't think they are. But I, don't think they are. I understand that better than what Spock is saying. So Spock is saying all these towers are going to put things in stasis. And stasis, to me, says everything stops. Literally stops. People don't move There'll be no warp because people aren't doing anything. They can't do anything. I mean, that's what Stasis says to me. And right. it's like, how I, can that... I didn't see it as that, but... Okay, but... Okay, well, what state... Okay. I thought they just meant that all so the is... other species would be wiped out and there would, you know, like... Well, they would be subjugated by the by the Tholians. But I'm talking about Spock. Yeah. So, so Gary keeps talking about the Tholians being in charge of things ongoing and, bring, and imposing a peace. But Spock says BS on that. What he's what they're really doing is they're going to use those towers to create a stasis. And if you're going to use those towers to create a stasis, why did you need the Tholians? I don't I don't quite get that. Because it sounded like they were going to put the Tholians in the stasis too. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out Spock's words. Yeah, he's, and maybe he's maybe you're right. And maybe I'm know. just yeah. Maybe I'm just sticking to literal textbook definitions as opposed to mm-hmm. what he may mean in a more loose, abstract way. Yeah, I just don't get that with all the other species in the universe gone. Yeah. Then, you know, all progress of mankind's movement into the world universe and stuff will mm-hmm. be stopped. So, yeah. In that regards, the whole Federation experiment would be stopped. Yeah. Okay. That, that's the way I took it, but okay. I don't know. I know Spock is super strong compared to a human being, but I thought they established that Gary was as well. Yeah, much stronger than a normal human being. Yeah, I took that. Yeah, I was. I had a comment about that too. Yeah. Sometimes when you do a handshake and somebody takes you by surprise, you're not expecting it. They can end up, you know, squeezing your hand hard, and it's hard to do something about it. So maybe that was the situation. But then later on, I'll save that for the next issue. But I have comments about Gary's fighting prowess right? in the next issue. Yeah, and Spock's squeezing his hand so much that he's down on his knees and he can't 
he can't really do anything anymore. Right. And and from panel to panel, it looks like Spock's hand changes in position to Gary's. So I have to assume that maybe they're letting go and then grabbing hands again to get into the new position. It's, it seems weird that oh, uh, Gary good point. Let, good him, point. let him do that. Okay, so the one grip got Gary to the ground, and right. then Spock shifted his grip as he took his oh. communicator out? Well, from panel to panel, yeah. So in that first shot, it's a handshake, so yeah. the thumbs are together. Right. And then in the when he's talking on the communicator, Spock's hand, his thumb is at the the base of yeah the base yeah. of the grip uh, is totally Gary's different. Ball. Yeah. So yeah, that seemed weird, and, and it was very reminiscent to me of Superman two when when Superman's shaking Zod's hand and brings him down to the ground. Oh, okay. Good point. I didn't, but, didn't uh, think about that. But at least in that one, you know, Zod didn't have his powers anymore, so that's why Superman was stronger. Whereas in this one, it's just like, Gary should be able to withstand a little a little hand squeeze and not <laughs> fall to the ground crying. <laughs> like a little baby. Yeah. You're hurting me. <laughs> Stop it, Spock! My Vulcans were nonviolent! Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that page. <laughs> it just seemed weird. Well, it was kind of cool from the standpoint that Spock was like, you know, I got to take this guy down. Sure. I, I kind of like that, his resolve. Using just the amount of physical force necessary to to make his escape. But, yeah. I don't... Uh, but the Enterprise had a lock on him the whole time? Because... Well, they that, that also seemed like a surprise because I thought he was whisked away <clears throat> by seven, and that they didn't Earth. even know where he was. Well, yeah, but you know the the communicator they can track the communicator. I know, but I mean, he's supposed to be a time traveler that can go anywhere in time and space okay, in his little but... all white TARDIS thing. <laughs> but they say they're on Earth. Okay, I mean they're on Earth. They're next to Earth's you know tower thingy. Which I guess is near to be San Francisco. In the middle of the ocean in San Francisco. Well, was it? You're, that's a good point. They showed it by the Golden Gate, right? Right. Was I mean, it actually you in the can water? See the Golden Gate in that picture, but I yeah. thought it was actually in the water in the in the last issue. Ah, uh, you may be right. You may be right. But, but that's definitely, definitely definitely not. Yeah, it's it's in a big white room. Okay, right. well whatever. Yeah. So and it's like the TARDIS. You walk inside the tower, and suddenly it's this huge, giant, white cathedral type thing oh much bigger on the inside than it is on the outside (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're right about that yeah i thought he was gonna make a comment like that like spock's like fascinating and then i'm like bigger on the inside than the outside (laughs) (laughs) oh my god gary is more and more doctor who as the issues progress i have one more comment just Quick, and I'll stop, and then you can talk. The Tholian ship. I think the the big, huge Tholian ship looks pretty cool. Right. The big red Tholian ship, which the Enterprise would have absolutely no no chance against, especially in its beaten and parts are coming off of it shape. Right. Okay, that's it. So when Kirk gets off the shuttlecraft and he's greeted by that guy in the blue shirt, that's Gary in disguise. So why even go through that? Disguise yourself as a blue shirt crewman. Spoiler, he doesn't do that in the next issues. He just shows up as Gary. I agree. I mean, it's almost like he needs, like, the part of his time traveling thing is he needs to inhabit other people's bodies. 
which is kind of, uh, I think I've seen that in other stories. But no, I completely agree with you. He's just popping up. Hey, I'm here. Bam. Uh, but this one, he takes over somebody's form. Is that a disguise? Yeah, I was assuming it was a disguise, but okay. I don't know. To catch Kirk off guard, to let him get close enough that then he could pull out the gun and, and shoot. Right. Okay. Well, that makes more sense if it is some kind of camouflage. But yeah, but what's disguise. the point? To to get Kirk to come in closer. I don't know. I think if he would have ran up behind the real guy that's in the blue shirt and tried to shoot Kirk, it would have been just as just as effective. Yeah, you would expect somebody to be there to greet Kirk. So did Gary get in there ahead of time, take out the guy to greet him, and then takes his form? Whatever. Ask too many questions. Too many questions. My last comment is just about this. The idea that you're going to just shoot all these water canisters and freeze them and shoot them. I I didn't really care for that. I know they've already done it once, so... But I would think that the Tholians would have figured a way to mitigate that since it went so bad last time. Yeah, probably. Um, Once you know that, you know, frozen water uh, shorts out your whole Tholian web, maybe you fix that before you launch out a, a huge Tholian web thing. Yep. You'd think so. I mean, basically, every countermeasure they come up with is pretty much based on the idea, well, most of them, that they operate hot. So they got cryogenic right. phasers. Oh, okay. And they got this water thing, uh, making it ice, whatever. Uh, yeah. You, you, you'd think they would be doing countermeasures to their countermeasures. But, and, but, then, and then it's really unclear what Uhura does oh. to... That's what I object like to. She hums. She's like, mm-hmm. and then suddenly the the ship's freezing on the inside of the Tholian ship. It's just like, was the humming? Was that, that part of it? I don't know. It none of it makes sense. Yeah, I have more objections to that than the water. Now the water <laughs> thing was pretty hokey, but this thing in the middle. So Spock goes through a line of logic that ends up with the idea that. They've got some, then Chekhov says it, I guess. They're matter replicators, each of them capable of self-replication. Uh, oh, no, 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 it's a her that says it. But if we could rewrite the code controlling those replicators, so like somehow there's, there's, a, repli- there's a dependency Tholians have on replicators? Yeah. Where and they, I don't know. And then, and then they're using that dependency on replicators to generate the coldest substance known to science, right? In the ship, again, cold stuff, uh, disabling the crews. Yep. Okay. Silly. I did not like. It. So, are these this replicator thing? Is that actually in their bodies, or they've got like machinery in the ships? No, I took it. It was in the. It was part of the ship. Okay. okay. You know, maybe that was like their their air conditioning or or heater or whatever. Instead of using, instead of heating it up that way, they heat it up with replicators. I don't know. It didn't make sense. But yeah, suddenly, I, it just destroys the whole ship. I had I, I had objections. Yeah, I didn't like it. No. All right, that was it. My last comment. Cool. You ready to move on? I'm ready. I want to find out how this ends. Right. Okay. All right. So issue 24 came out June of 2021.
has two covers. The first cover is by Stephen Thompson, and it shows uh, Gary Seven putting Kirk in like a neck hold, and then Kirk trying his best to hold the phaser off from shooting him in the head, I guess. And then the second cover is the variant cover by J.J. Lindell. And it's one of those little brochure ones, travel guide type things. And it shows four stripes. One has a Tellarite and then a human and then a Vulcan and then an Andorian. And then at the bottom it says, visit the Federation Council. And it has the uh, UFP logo in the top right-hand corner. So as far as credits go, the uh, artist is different uh, from the last issue. And that it is now Sylvia Califano. But it looks like everything else is the same. The story picks up right where the last one left off with Gary Seven about to kill the newly commissioned Captain Kirk as he boards the Enterprise for the first time five years ago. And just as Gary is about to pull the trigger, the uh, current day Kirk springs out of nowhere and saves his earlier self. Gary is shocked on how Kirk was able to travel through time. And then Gary vanishes as he tries to go back to an earlier time. The slightly older Kirk also then vanishes, leaving the young Kirk very confused on what the heck just happened. Gary arrives at Starfleet Academy to kill Cadet Kirk, and again the older Kirk appears at the last minute to save his younger self. And then this happens again and again and again throughout time. Each time Gary goes back just a little bit further, and each time he's thwarted somehow by Kirk, also doing some time traveling. It is cool, though, that we get to see glimpses of Kirk's past, including his childhood on both the pre- and post-Crisis Tarsus IV, as well as seeing a very young Kirk eating an ice cream uh, there on his farm in Iowa. Gary then states that if he cannot kill the weed, he will kill the root that it grew from, and he disappears again. This time, Gary arrives at the USS Kelvin, And this NCC-0514 ship looks uh, like a very retro version of the 2009 movie version of the same ship. So it has the one nacelle and the engineering section, just as the other Kelvin did in the movie. But this time it looks like the Taz era with the weird straight nacelles and things like that. So uh, Gary arrives to kill George Kirk and thereby Jim Kirk would never get born. But then our Kirk arrives, and they fight. And then this time, Kirk is using some words as well as fists to help Gary see that he's been manipulated all these years, first by Aegis, then by Isis. And then they eventually reconcile somewhat, and allowing bygones to be bygones, the pair return to the present-day Earth, inside of his TARDIS ship. And then Gary asks Kirk, how on earth is he time traveling? And then Kirk points out that Gary himself is the one that helped him, and he pulls out Gary's sonic screwdriver. And then they kind of look over their shoulder, and then Gary sees his younger self, you know, just by a few minutes, uh, disappearing and leaving Kirk alone to watch Gary. And then the older Gary walks over to the younger Kirk and gives him the sonic screwdriver and tells him how to use it to stop him from killing his younger selves. It's a little, it's a little wonky, but it works. Meanwhile, 
while all this has been going on, acting Captain Spock has been taking uh, Bright Eyes to the Tholian leadership. Bright Eyes beams over and he pleads the case for the Federation to his elders and explains to them how they've been manipulated by Gary all this time. The Tholian Council agrees and the quadrant-wide Tholian web is turned off. Meanwhile, on Earth, the two presidential candidates are pleading with the sitting president. The Andorian woman basically wants to nuke the webs and stop them that way, regardless of any fallout that may come. While Shaw wants to give Spock and the crew of the Enterprise a little bit longer to succeed. And McCoy's there as well, and he chimes in a few times, siding with Shaw. But before the president has to make a decision, the webs go down and the Tholian attack forces retreat. The Federation celebrates its very close call. The Enterprise returns to Earth to start its refit. And Kirk and Spock depart the ship for one last time. Kirk offers Spock to spend a few days in Iowa at the farm before he runs off to Vulcan, to which Spock agrees. The end. Da, 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 da. Yeah, so you could just stop here and you don't need an issue 25. It wraps up the story arc quite well. Right. Except for we could have a little epilogue. Whatever, whatever issue 25 is, I'm sure it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a backdoor pilot to, like you say, another series. Right. Let's hope so. Well, we got to know what happens to Bright Eyes. I mean, is he, well, they do know. say that he's, he's going to stay on the Tholian ship to act exactly. as the Federation ambassador. He's the Federation ambassador. That's his future. Yep. Now, he may do other things, but for the immediate future, he's the ambassador. I would think that you would want a better ambassador. I mean, no no disrespect <clears throat> to Bright Eyes, I mean, but he has been on the ship for less than a year, and now he's going to be the, the Federation ambassador. He's young. He doesn't know that much about the Federation. He knows a lot more than any other Tholian, probably. Sure, sure. He has become a member of the crew. As a cadet. Well, okay. Cadet representing your whole Federation. Well, well, the the big question I had with this whole idea where they're going to race to the Tholian command ship and mm-hmm. this kid, this teenager, you know, because he's a young Tholian, the elders are going to listen to this kid? What are you kidding? I mean, what, so obviously the Tholian culture is totally different from human culture. I mean, totally different that right. they would give this kid the time of day. Yeah, I did like during that conference, he's like, let me tell you why you shouldn't be attacking the Federation. And then one of them's like, and then we'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you listen to me first? (laughs) I do like how Spock starts things off and has a lot to say. So it isn't like Bright Eyes is is convincing them alone. Spock's got a lot to say. And he says it very well. He, of course, he's Spock. He's Vulcan. He produces a good logical case. And so they were kind of tag teaming a little bit to uh, try to uh, convince the elders this attack is not a good idea. Right. So. Yeah, no, those, there's like three pages, maybe four pages of just like really dense dialogue between Mm -hmm. both Spock and Bright Eyes just letting them know what's going on. Right. Basically wrapping up the last 24 issues (laughs) into four pages. Exactly. 
But that wasn't the big part of the story. What do you think about all the time traveling? Immediately, the first thing I said, how the heck did Kirk do that? Did he right. somehow jump into the temporal wake of Gary when he went into the past? And it's like, okay, you could do the temporal wake thing once. <laughs> but after that, how do you, he's doing it like five times. How is he doing this? And then when you find out Kirk had Gary's pen, uh, right. his, his, his sonic pen, it's like, oh, well, I guess that would work. And how does he know how to work it? <laughs> right. And, well, uh, we don't know how long. I mean, that's the beauty of time travel. You, it doesn't, he could have taken a year to learn how to do it <laughs> and still yeah. go back in Good time point. and save himself. Good point. Anyway, so I thought, okay, fine. Okay, that makes sense. But then the idea that finally, Kirk, who has talked many a advanced computer into subjugation, was able to finally talk Gary into backing off, was like, okay, I, I, I kind of had a hard time with it. Well, it was one of those ones where he finally quit fighting and then he let Gary wail on him a little bit. And then I <laughs> guess once he wailed on him enough, you know, yelling out what he didn't like, it kind of got it out kinda of realized what he was doing was wrong. Well, there was definitely a point in time in older issues where it seemed like Gary was realizing what he was doing was wrong, and then Isis was there to manipulate him and get him back in the line. Right. So, so we saw a little hint of Gary realizing that maybe this is not the best way to go. And then it being suppressed, and, and, and now we see it coming back. So, I guess so. Gary gives him quite a whoop in there at that last one, but... He does. It doesn't seem flying. to hurt him too bad. No, he can still talk. And it's like, he doesn't spit any teeth out. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, so here's my alternate theory. You ready? Mm-hmm. That this was the Aegis plan the whole time. So they wanted to bring the Tholian Empire and the Federation together into a, a positive relationship. And this is how they achieved it. Hmm. So this was always part of the plan, and Gary didn't know what the real plan was. Uh, but the Aegis knowing that Gary would ultimately back off and things could fall into place, and then the, the two mighty... The Empire and the Federation, they get together and stuff. Right. Um, I, you know, that's a great result. And I just, it just seems like a little bit too Hogan's Heroesy <laughs> kind of, you know, complicated thing. You know, right. how, how could you get all this stuff to go right? Um, because cause they just leave Gary. I mean, they, uh, so McCoy, his big thing is to figure out, you know, how to, how to undo some of the genetic tinkering manipulation that that happened to Gary? Which good right, luck, right. by the way. Yeah, I didn't. I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So good luck, by the way, with that, McCoy. I mean, wasn't he bred over multiple generations to be what he is? Right. I don't know how. And he lived in that little life. fake fake community and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Right. So. Well, we weren't ever actually sure. Was it a fake community or was it? A real <clears> no, that was Earth. He was on Earth at that point. But he was right, so he was on Earth in some suburban neighborhood, you know, biding his time until he was needed. Right, until Isis showed up and was like, 
Gary Six is dead. Now you're yes. Gary Seven. When ISIS shows up as a as a black gentleman, a right. bald black guy in a suit, in a in a men in men in black suit, and says, "You're up. <laughs> You've been activated." Anyway, so so why are the Aegis? Okay, so there are other Aegis agents on Earth. Or at least there was at earlier points in Earth's history. We know that. He is Supervisor 759 or whatever his number is. I forgot what his number is. But he's the supervisor. So he's got supervisees. And those are other Aegis agents that are also on Earth. So if this really was the plan that... I mean, there were other people that could have stepped in and done, done things, maybe. Although by the time the, the Tholians said, you know, that's it. We're, this is BS. We're, we're, we're backing off of this invasion thing. I guess what can right. you do? But there are other people in the mix and they just let the Federation Starfleet just take Gary. I mean, you know, they, they don't try to right. retrieve Gary. I, yeah. We, we saw huh? all those other agents. Yeah. So I don't know. So that, that's what got me to think, well, maybe this was the Aegis's plan all along, but I don't know. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, a lot of people were getting killed while all this was going on. Right. I mean, Isis was carving people up like crazy, you know, with her claws and her Tholian form or whatever, or, or just her cat claws. I don't know. Gary did a lot of things. There were a lot of bad things that happened with this Aegis plan. And if ultimately they just wanted to bring those two races together, but that's my theory, my side theory. So I like how they teed up the Enterprise all just like, tattered and everything boy this ship needs a refit well it was already getting one wasn't it i I thought so but now it really needs it right what'd you think about the kelvin though (laughs) yeah that's exactly the next thing i was thinking of (laughs) (laughs) okay so the kelvin as you mentioned this is not the kelvin from the 2009 star trek movie this is a decidedly different one and there are things that are same you know you got the engineering section above and then you got the nacelle underneath the saucer section. So there are some things the same. But definitely, they took a book out of the Taws playbook for this Kelvin, as opposed to the, what, 20 or 25% different from original Taws playbook that uh, J.J. and company produced for the 2009 movie? Right. Well, I mean... So it's as it's as close to the Enterprise. It's as close to the Kelvin from the movie as the movie is from the original series. It's just well, it is it, it is weird to see okay. that there's going to be two different versions that are supposed to be in okay. the same timeline. I mean, this is supposed to be before Nero shows up, so this should be the yeah. same Kelvin. It should be the same Kelvin. This should be the same Kelvin. But they okay, so they decided to maybe the, maybe the producers of this this book decided, eh, not that crazy about the Kelvin design. Let's go ahead and do something a little bit that's a little bit more in alignment with Taws. Although I will say that that nacelle looks an awful lot like the one on the Enterprise. A lot. The original Enterprise. The, well, yeah, the original Taws Enterprise. Right, uh, right, I right. mean, and, and actually when you say original, that's good because it looks like it has a nipple, which is, you know, from the cage. Which would be even more accurate. Exactly. Before the Enterprise. Exactly. However, yeah, I do agree with that. The nipple being there is is good for continuity. But this thing is supposed to be, what, 35 years-ish old? 
yet yeah. it's got 35 years prior to the real Enterprise, or 30 years. I'm not sure exactly when the, the Enterprise was constructed in Toss. Right. But, well, ele- definitely 11 years. I mean, it, yeah, because Cap because Pike oh. was on it for 11 years, right? So it's definitely longer than that. Okay, okay. So it's April not it's, it's not a 35-year difference. No, no, no. I don't think so. Okay, so it's a lot less. So, um, but even the engineering section doesn't look that different from Taw's Enterprise. It's a little different, right. but not that different. It's even got, you know, the copper, rusty-colored <laughs> antenna <laughs> thing on mm-hmm. the front for the deflector dish. And then look at the saucer section, the primary hull. It's not that much different. I mean, the biggest thing that's different is the thing that attaches the engineering section to the saucer section. That right. That is a little bit more advanced. It's wider. It looks more structurally wise <laughs> than the skinny little neck the Taws Enterprise ever had. And definitely much more logical than the, the popsicle sticks that they use for the nacelles. So in some ways, this looks even more advanced than Taw's Enterprise. So that's the only thing that kind of bugs me a little bit. Right. I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. Oh, I, mean, I like it, it too, but... I mean, if we're supposed to buy that the Enterprise and Star Trek Discovery is the same one that Jeffrey Hunter was the captain of, and yeah. I mean, well, if, if we're supposed to buy that those are the same ships, then I kind of like that the wink wink that this is the same ship that's in the the kelvin movie right because uh obviously it's not but uh but we're supposed to believe that it is yeah i thought it was cool i liked it well i like it too it's just that what what's going on here that's not the kelvin because even in um prodigy which which is the new show that's at the time of the recording right we've only had two i guess it's three episodes even though the first one was combined Right. But in episode three, they do show like a whole bunch of holograms of ships in the past. And we see a discovery. Spoilers. I haven't watched that episode yet. But here's the thing. We see a discovery, but then we also see a Taz Enterprise, which which I was like, well, which which are you saying? Is it supposed to be the uh, Discovery Enterprise, not the not the Taz Enterprise? Exactly. But then if they if you didn't have the Taz Enterprise in there, then then you're being disrespectful to the past. So, you know, it's, it's one of those wishy-washy things. You just, gonna you, just you just make a decision and go with it as a showrunner. Right. You know, so just I make really a decision like, and just go with it. I really like this ship being in there. And, you know, in my head canon, I'm like, yeah, it's the same ship. It looks exactly the same, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it definitely does not. Uh, but my problem is the uh, the date he shows up, 2233. This is the same year that Nero is supposed to show up which means that it would be the same time that Kirk's already being born. So killing George Kirk now might not really kill Jim Kirk if, you know, if Winona or whatever her name is already on Earth about to have the baby. <laughs> Isn't her name Winona? I thought that was it. Uh, Winona Ryder. No, no, the no. Actress. no. Winona Ryder is the actress who played Spock's mom. Oh. I thought that okay. Jim Kirk's mom was Winona. Winona? Was it Winona? Okay. I thought so. I, I might forgot. be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Winona Kirk. Interesting. Is that not right? I don't know. Maybe. I don't remember. Uh, that's the way I remember it. <laughs> okay. We'll go with your memory. But anyway, so there's a good chance that he's already 
conceived somewhere and that killing George Kirk in 2233 is not not the way to go. Maybe go to 2232. Just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um you'll notice that the captain, the bald captain guy, yeah, um who I guess was in the mummy movies. Was he the mummy movies? Anyway, um the captain of the Calvin he talks something about it being like a prototype ship or something, right. doesn't he? Yeah. So it's yeah, supposed to be advanced. The Kelvin's supposed to be an advanced ship. He makes some comment about right. that. And what I got from the movie is that is just the opposite that they wanted to get across with the Kelvin, the 2009 movie. They, I mean, they, I got the impression that they wanted this to be an old-looking ship. I mean, look at the, compare the Kelvin to the 2009 movie Enterprise. Very different ships. I mean, you can, you can look at them and say, there's a big difference here. Uh, basically, the well, Kelvin has this, huge, ship, but... has this huge cigar engine on the bottom of it. And then the Enterprise has this, you know, curvy, you know, hot rod nacelles on them. I mean, I think, I think they meant to get across. You know, it was a while ago, and this was not, you know, it wasn't an advanced ship. Mm. That's what I got the impression of. But here, right. I mean, they made it very clear that this is like an advanced prototype of some kind. Right. But its registration the, number is 1,000 uh, numbers 1, in the past. I mean, it's... It's 0514. Yeah, no. So it's, a. I mean, it's what, 1,200 in Oh, the past, I got so. I see what you're saying. So, 17, I mean, you would think that there's 1,200 in between those. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a lot yeah, of which, which, again, gives you the idea that it's an old ship. Right. It's an old crummy ship. Right. Yeah. But I mean, but also. And there's no NX on it. See, there's no NX. Nope. <sighs> Anyways, I liked yeah. it a lot. Yeah. I liked it too. It's just. And well, look, look at all the discussion it's spurring on. <laughs> so any work of fiction that can spur a lot of discussion and debate is successful. Yeah, I'll be honest, this is probably my favorite panel in the whole series. <laughs> oh, the Kelvin? Yeah, just seeing it. Oh, wow. It okay. made me so happy. Oh, it like, made you happy? It'd be like seeing the Enterprise on there. I don't know why. Uh, which? I just like it. Oh, you mean the first the, uh, NX01? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was just cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah, okay, cool. But uh, what I thought was weird is that in 2235, yes, uh, when, yes, when they're in Iowa. Yes, why known as driving that car that just it, the normal. It a looks normal... like yeah. You know, that's not my comment, but yeah, you, you're bringing up a good point. Yeah, it's and got windshield wipers. She's like slamming on the brakes and she's doing the old mom thing where you throw your arm out to catch the person in the passenger seat. Exactly. Now, it's got a rear view mirror. Right. It's I don't think it's supposed to be that car that Kirk steals in oh, no. the movie, well, I, but I think oh. it's supposed to be getting that. Is that what it's is that what it's trying to say? I think Interesting. So. Interesting. But yeah, well, I don't think they're driving these kind of cars in That the would be an ex so that's supposed to be a Mustang. Was that a Mustang? Or no, I don't, a, a, I don't know if it's supposed Corvette. to be that car. It's just that's that's what we're supposed to okay. get the well, feeling. Okay. My comment I have a comment for that same panel. Are you done? Yep, sure. Okay. So I'm looking at the background, which looks kind of brown, kind More of like arid. Iowa. 
ex- the deserts of Iowa. <laughs> now, I've never been to Iowa, but I was born and mostly raised in Illinois, which is right next door. And it's a flat place for the most part. You don't see big brown mountains popping up. And there tends to be a lot of green trees. There's no tree in sight. There's a few green bushes. And the rest of it is brown, arid looking. I mean, this looks like New Mexico or Utah or Arizona. This does not look like Iowa. Right. Anyway, I just thought, why, why yeah, I definitely would you do had that? an Arizona vibe to it when I was reading it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, this, this is not Iowa. It does not look like Iowa. At least, I assume. Again, I, I've never been to Iowa, so I can't tell you. But the 2009 movie, it was very deserty when he was driving the driving the I Mustang agree. or whatever. I agree. It, it looked like the West. That never made sense in the uh, in the 2009 movie either. Unless what what climate change? I don't know. There you go. Iowa became <laughs> a semi-arid desert. You know, Sonoran Desert-like thing. I don't know. But I did like the Taurus thing. I really liked seeing both before 2000. Oh, yeah, that's a good 45, point. 45, and then that's a very after good point. 22, 46, yeah. where you're showing the... Tarsus, uh, Tarsus 4. Tarsus 4, yeah. Yeah. Where we see that's that, really uh, good. I agree I with you. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so the San Francisco thing, okay, that's a generic thing, fine. But then they but yeah, had... Kirk, then they Kirk had that 22, 52, didn't he look like... Chris Pine's outfit, the jacket and stuff. Uh, I really think maybe, they were maybe they were getting that. He he has cool guy civilian clothes on. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about the the peace mission, Axenar? Eh. So he was part of that. I didn't. I didn't know he was. Well, part of I that. had to go look it up because I was like, "What the heck is this?" So the peace mission at Axenar happened after Captain Garth's famous victory. Kirk was there taking part when he was a cadet and he was awarded the palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission because I guess he did such an awesome job. Yeah, so I had to look at that up. I had no idea. Huh? I don't know. It just seems weird. You, so did none of this actually happen or do all these people remember being attacked by an older version? Uh, of <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Kirk has no memory of it. Look at all the times th- times in his past where some guy in a gray suit comes out of somewhere with a gun and almost kills him. Would you think you'd remember that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. And then, uh, like in one of them, he almost shoots his mom. I mean, yeah. Kirk's yeah. getting punched in the face, and then the phaser's going off, and it's like whizzing right by her face. Yeah. And the kids are having a great time. Yeah. Hands are in the yeah, air. Wee. Fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when I was reading this, I kept waiting for them to explain how there, none of this really, really did happen because otherwise he would have remembered it all. Right. But uh, no, they don't. <laughs> so I guess it all really did happen. Yeah. But what is Kirk wearing in the back of that car, that traditional car in twenty two thirty five? Is he wearing like a little robot outfit? Uh, obviously, it's a thing? car seat. Hello. Is that what that is? It's a car seat. It's a but car it's... seat that completely comes around the front of you to keep you in place. But your arms can get poked out to, so you can still eat and stuff. Okay. It's a restraint device, right? 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's big. I didn't know what it was. I really thought it was like a little robot costume, like they were coming home from Halloween or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a car seat, a future uh, car seat. Future car seat. Which really isn't that much different from a today car seat. I mean, what what goes around? I mean, kids are like in a bat. Well, they, he's older there, though. I mean, he's a top. I mean, he's beyond toddler. What's he? What's he? Three years old? Four years old? Be two years old. No, two, two he was years born old? in thirty-three. Yeah. Huh. Well, he looks big, older than two years old, but okay. Well, a two-year-old in a car seat. Yeah. So how did, you know, you've been a daddy more recently? I mean, it's just it goes around the stomach, and and then this. Yeah, you have straps around your shoulders. You got straps. Like not, not whatever this is. But that thing's like a big webbing kind of thing almost. Yeah. Yeah, you ain't going nowhere in that. It it's almost looks like cocoon. a flak jacket or something. Little cocoon where your arms poke out. Right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's the future. All right. So my last comment, if I may, is just in some of the wrap-up. Box says that Ahura Chekhov will be joining Kirk. In Starfleet Command or whatever, Sulu and Ahura have requested positions in Kirk's office. Oh, where's it say that? Uh, oh, they're on the last page when they're walking to the turbo lift. So it says uh, Scott will stay on the ship to supervise the refit. Ahura and Sulu have both applied for positions in your office. So that's kind of oh. cool that they're going to stay together, or at least some of them. Hmm. But then I guess Ahura and Sulu do end up back on the Enterprise when it's getting ready to right. be released. Right. And so what happened to Amras? And, uh, what's the three-legged guy? I forgot his name. Uh, Rx. Rx. So Rx must have gone off on a posting and never came back. Yeah, he never came back. Yeah. Unless Amras. you go with the DC Volume 1 continuity and then he comes oh. back. Oh, <laughs> good point. Good point. Or actually Star Trek 2. Because Spock was still dead when he showed up. Anyways, anything else? I don't think so. Uh, I enjoyed, and now we got one more issue to go, but I enjoyed the story arc. The main story arc of year five. Right. Even though it turned one of your favorite characters into a bad guy. Well, yes. A 24-issue bad guy. but But he came back to being a good guy in the end when he realized... Oh, how wrong he was. I just wish Garrett, there would have been more with Gary where it late. It's kind of like uh, Anakin Skywalker turning to the dark side. It's like, <laughs> there's somehow something lacking here where the person turns the corner and right. becomes good again, uh, in Gary's case, or goes completely bad. Breaking Bad, uh, in the case of Anakin. It just seems like right. there's something missing there in the transition, but whatever. It's fine. So, remind me again, how did Isis die? She was attacking them, and they had oh, to yeah. kill her, right? Yeah, Sulu and Chekhov had to kill her. Yeah, that's what I thought. And But when Gary's pounding on him, he's like, you murdered her. Well, you murdered her. And then Kirk's yeah. like, yeah, we did. It was <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> she was. It was self-defense, if anything. Oh, yeah. Well, Kirk had confidence that Sulu and Chekhov would be able to handle it. And, and it was really Chekhov and Sulu that did it, but... Right. Yeah. But, but, but Kirk... But they're but all... Kirk admits to murder in this, yeah. in this issue, and I'm like, it wasn't murder. It was, it was a war. She was going to kill them. It well, was self-defense. Okay, so there's probably a legal definition of murder 
But, I mean, they did kill her. They did kill her. They did kill her. But it was in, completely in self-defense. She's the one that came out of the Enterprise. She's right. the one that was killing Enterprise crew before they like, finally... Like they were paper. Oh, man. Woof. Yeah, so what was... With that Sulu sliding butt first underneath her with the sword? Or the, no, that the was shard Chekhov, of metal? Right. Oh, was that Chekhov? I thought that was Sulu. I don't know, Sulu. maybe it was Sulu. I can't remember. Yeah. But think, yeah, they were they were together. Right. So I think Chekhov was like getting her distraction or getting her attention or something. I forgot what exactly what it was. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I think you're right. And then Sulu slid under there and <laughs> somehow. Very very slippery butt you got there, Sulu. <laughs> okay. Uh anyways. Anything else? No. What was McCoy doing there? That seemed uh Yeah, they they just that was throwing McCoy a bone. We need something for McCoy to do. Yeah. McCoy we haven't seen McCoy for a while. The the fans will will want him around. So, yeah, it makes no sense why he would be in the office of the president of the Federation. Right, while so they're what, having what, that debate. Exactly. So, what, what, he was there as a consultant or something? I guess so. That's what he Whatever. said he was there for. Advisory capacity. He was there yeah. as an advisor. Yeah, because they yell at him, you're supposed to be answering questions if we ask you and not chiming in. And he's like, well, if I wait for my patients to ask for help, they would all be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So anyways, I just thought that was really random that he just showed up. Yeah. And maybe it was mentioned in the last issue and I don't remember, but I don't remember. And and, and, okay, so look at look at the president. Of the Federation. Yeah, he looks like the president from Star Trek Six. Exactly. Exactly. Wasn't that a later time period? Like, by a lot? Uh, yeah, Six is way after One. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, this time period is earlier than One. Right. So, what... Uh, okay. Maybe he comes back. He's, you know, one of those presidents that leave and come back to way later. Yeah, so, well, no, he, he looks like the father from that 70s show. I think he still kind of looks like uh, like the guy that was in Star Trek VI. I don't know. Or, or maybe that particular alien, because that is an alien, right? Right, yeah. Uh, maybe that particular alien just ends up getting the presidency a lot. Right. With the exact same hairdo and face do. Exactly. Okay. Face do. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, well, that's kind of a unique Fu Manchu thing going there. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, no, I thought it was weird because I even had to kind of do it like he's been president that long. <laughs> so neither one of these two are going to become the president. It's still going to be him. And he's just going to hold on to it for the next 15 years. <laughs> he's going to hold on to that presidency a long time. Long time. Okay, that's it. I'm done. That's it? That's it. I'm done. I'm looking forward to seeing the, the final issue. Well, I'm not right. looking forward to the final issue, but... It's there. We can't do anything about it. I'm looking forward to reading it and commenting. I guess, you know, as far as things that haven't been resolved, I mean, we don't know who who wins the presidential race. Hmm. So I guess I guess that's I one guess thing. We'll find that. We'll probably find that out. Yeah. And then what happens to Gary? I would be interested to know if he, I mean, if this is like, let's say a year later or something. I'd like to know if Gary's still around because it's just normal. If he's a normal human now. Well, I'm I've not, been cured of my augments. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I just want to know if he's still around. Because... Yeah, launch him into set it off you five or six. There's a lot of... Augmented, he goes there's to, a lot goes, of 
I don't think so. There's a lot of alternate universe books and things, and even comic books, that show Gary doing things in the future, beyond this time period. As Gary. As Super Aegis guy. So, uh, I, I just think Gary needs to go back to the Aegis thing. Right. As well, with time to, travel, it could have still been him, but from um, yeah, okay. Well, earlier you're you're going to pull that him, card. And, you're going to pull that card out. Okay. I don't know. I never took it that he could travel through time until this series. I always oh, yeah. took it that he was just very long-lived. I thought so, too. He was genetically bred to be long-lived. And by the way, so McCoy, when you're doing all this stuff, and you're going to undo my like long life and everything and super strength, although maybe not, and other th- benefits I've got, well, you know, maybe I like some of those. Maybe I want to yeah, hang exactly. on to some of those. Yeah, just take away the, the mind control stuff yes. and leave all the rest. Leave all the rest. That'd be great. Thanks. Oh, I mean, and he... make sure I can have my sonic screwdriver. <laughs> exactly. So, we'll see what happens. So, let's talk about next week. Or next time, shall I say. All right. We'll, we'll do that, 25. And then the other miniseries that's going on right now is... Uh, it's a Star Trek The Next Generation mirror universe called The Mirror War. Cool. So it's a continuation of the last couple of mirror universe next generation stories we've had. So what was it? Mirrors, broken mirror, something like that. Shattered mirror, broken mirror, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, Picard and them are trying to take over the, the Terran Empire or whatever. I think that's what they were. Is that's that what the, they were is that the war? I'm assuming so. I don't know. I haven't read it, but well, that's but, what I mean, they teed up. Last Didn't the last one tee that up? Yeah, because because Bar Barclay and Jordy were able to look into the Prime Universe to, so that they can get the tech and uh, resources to take over or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. But you kind of looked ahead at the covers, and you said some Deep Space Nine people show up, which is kind of cool. Well... There was a lot of Deep Space Nine uh, Mirror Universe issues, episodes. The numbering is odd, as you made me aware. So the first issue is actually issue zero. So in the third... or Issue two, which is actually the third book in the series, has on the cover Cisco and Rolaren. In civilian clothes. So that'll be cool. That will be cool. So, again, this is Mirror Universe, so that's what these people, those two characters are in the Mirror Universe? Yeah, I don't know. I thought Cisco was dead in the Mirror Universe during the Deep Space Nine timeline, so maybe this will explain how he died and why he's not there in the Deep Space Nine episodes. It just depends on, on where this falls chronologically. Right. He could have taken a totally different path. But he ends up somehow in a story with Rolaren. So, but who knows who she is? Right. Anyway, all these mysteries. But let's get back to an important point. Donovan, you're going to double check because you are the authority. You're the librarian. You're going to double check. But basically, we're done except for new things that come up. Right. We yeah. have achieved our 10 plus year mission. <laughs> That is true, sir. We are caught up. Oh my word. Okay, so episode one, our pilot, 2009? Is when I po- when we posted it, but we had already recorded for about a year before we started posting. 
So we've been at it a while. Wow. Wow. It's uh, the end of 2021. It's been, it's, it's, a, it's a 10 year plus mission. Well, anyway, so plus 10 year mission to read every comic book. And at the time, I thought you were smoking something. <laughs> that we would possibly be able to put the time and effort into doing it. But I got to say, I mean, we got some issues out there to do. But if it truly is the Mirror War is the next one to do, it's like, yeah, it's the last we're done. Time. Yeah. We're done. Put a, put, put a fork in it. It's yeah, the done. only things that we haven't done is the straight-up adaptations of the movies. Oh. There's also a uh, Those are boring. adaptation of All Good Things. And that's it. Movie adaptions and that one episode adaption. Other than that, we've covered everything. Comic well, book really. unless the adaptation puts something in that is like new information that was not in the original movie or TV show, it's like they're useless. Yeah. That's why we always skipped them. Yeah. We did do the motion picture adaptation, and then we never did any of the other ones. Actually, it was the novel, as you pointed out correctly, that had more ahas than uh, things you did not see in the, uh, in the movie uh, than anything. Right, right. <laughs> so, anyways, it'll be interesting to get it all done, I guess. We only have what six, six issues. So it's a five. It's a five issue miniseries, but with an issue zero. So it's really six issues. So, but, but before that's over, they they'll have another one starting. Hopefully, up. I'm open. Which I'm, I'm completely open. But I'm just saying. Lower decks. Um, I mean, at some point, we have to claim victory. If <laughs> we said this before, this seems very familiar to me. What's that? That you oh. you just want to be done. What, no, I want to be able to say we have achieved our mission. Now well, we're na- we na- now we're into the post, <laughs> the refit <laughs> time period right. of podcast. Yeah, the okay. extension. The extension. Okay, and then we'll have to obviously do more things than just Star Trek. So we'll have to figure that out. Figure out what we're doing. And we if anybody, uh, if anybody is still left listening, we got Orville. Give us ideas. Here. Yeah, we do have some Orvilles, but. Yes, we've got some Orvilles, but Orville those are not being produced uh, you know, on a regular basis. That's true. That is true. And until they get the next season on, which seems to be some Herculean task, it's taking forever. And I know COVID delayed things, but there's a lot of things that were delayed, and we've been seeing things coming out over the past year. But uh, let's, let's get that next season of Orville on Hulu. Is that the deal? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, again, if anybody's listening, thank you for listening. And if you have other, <laughs> like Ken was trying to say, I think he was asking for suggestions on yeah. what to do next. Right. And uh, I guess we'll be back next week. Same Trek time, same Trek channel. Be there. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, 
Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.